The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure you get the best experience. This show is sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For high-quality printed t-shirts, coasters, placemats, mugs and drinks containers, stickers and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie for a no-obligation quote. You can find CDS Print and Design on Instagram, Facebook and now Etsy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning, and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can subscribe to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. A target of 30 subscribers is the aim, and with your help, I know that's more than possible. The goal is to be able to release bonus content to subscribers and to get Haunted UK Podcast merchandise out there and available to all you amazing listeners. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK Podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Dave Butler, Sarah Walsgrove, and last but not least, Davy Granger. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips, and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. He had an air of authority about him, or at least one of entitlement. He turned, paused, stared at me, then turned back and walked on. All of my hair was stood on end, something I thought was just a saying until I experienced it. There was a small corridor towards a fire door at the end, 
and he disappeared behind the wall of this corridor. Without hesitation, I've often wondered how, I followed and peered around the corner towards the door. It was empty. The door was alarmed, so no possibility of exit without me knowing, and I would have heard it. This is the final episode of our three-part Listener Stories finale. So for the last time this season, it's over to you to tell your stories. The response to parts one and two of the Listener Stories episodes has been amazing, and there are still stories continuing to come in. Unfortunately, I had to close the window for submissions a while ago to get these episodes prepped and ready for release. But please be assured that if your story hasn't featured in one of these episodes, it will definitely be part of season four's Listener Stories finale episodes. So we finally made it to the last part of Season 3's Listener Stories, but also to the end of Season 3, and what a ride it's been. We've had episodes ranging from missing persons to cursed diamonds, then all the way through to haunted castles and poltergeist encounters. Then there's the overhaul of the show's running format, which now gives listeners a completely uninterrupted feature of the main content of this episode. But what can you expect from Season 4? Well, there's more stories to come of curses, haunted houses, terrifying creatures and much more. Three of the episodes coming up in Season 4 have major contributions from listeners, so there's a lot for you to look forward to. After this episode has been published and released though, the Haunted UK podcast will be taking a bit of a break to get the entire of Season 4 ready, but to also have a little downtime. There's a lot of work which is going on behind the scenes to try and make the show even better than it's ever been before. If you are a monthly Coffee subscriber, you can also look forward to some great new additions which are in development at the moment, such as a bonus monthly episode, access to a secure online folder which will contain every single episode of the show but without interruptions or adverts, a monthly newsletter, and exclusive money-off deals for haunted UK podcast merchandise. Also, don't forget that you can keep up to date with all developments and news via Instagram, Coffee, and now Twitter, at Haunted UK Pod. There's also the YouTube channel where episodes are always being uploaded after they're released, 
So, as you've heard, there's lots going on and lots in development. But we're all really here for the stories. So, to kick off this last Listener Stories episode of Season 3, we have Emma Wilkinson, who tells us of an experience her mother had in Hayden Hill Park, but also of an experience which she had while cleaning a house. Hi there. I've just come across your podcast on Spotify and really enjoyed the episode regarding Hayden Hill House and Hall. I live just around the corner from Hayden Hill and walk my dogs around the park regularly. I haven't had a personal experience in the park myself. However, my mum did when she was young. She says her dog was barking furiously in one direction. When my mum looked up, she saw a lady walking across the water of the large pool. My mum is very brave and has always said she wasn't bothered by the blue lady's appearance and just walked away. Although I've not experienced anything in Hayden Hill Park itself, I have had my own personal experiences in the area close by. When I was younger, I used to clean a local house for three hours every Friday. The house was a large house that consisted of two terraced houses knocked into one. One side of the house was calm and warm. However, the other side was cold and you always felt like you were being watched. Items I was cleaning would go missing and I would constantly feel like there were eyes burning a hole into my back. I would vacuum the staircase every week. Whilst doing this, it always felt like there was someone watching me from the top of the stairs. On one particular day that I was vacuuming, I got halfway up the stairs and I could no longer pull the vacuum up. I pulled and pulled on the wire, but to no success. It seemed as if the wire was stuck on something. I walked down the stairs and found that the wire was simply lying on the floor. Nothing was preventing it from coming up the stairs. I had to wonder who was holding on to the end of the wire. I asked the owner of the house if she had ever heard anything or seen anything and she said that she would often hear someone walking up and down that staircase. I have other stories, but I will save those for another time. Emma Wilkinson, Hales Owen. Our next story comes from listener Dan Beavers, and this is a fascinating tale of an experience he had as a child, which involved a number of toys which he was collecting at the time. It also brilliantly describes the feelings he had as a youngster, as this experience unfolded right before his eyes. This has taken some considerable time to openly talk about this experience, purely because it feels so silly bonkers in fact. Only a small handful of people in my past have heard this story, mainly because of its absurdity. It happened back in 1996. I was an adventurous eight-year-old growing up in the most easterly point of Britain in the small seaside town of Lowestoft. Yes, the birthplace of the rock band The Darkness. We had an episode of Top Gear filmed here, and even Gene Simmons of Kiss fame came here to film his second series of Rock School. Aside from these claims to fame, Lowestoft itself has some really creepy paranormal stories and links to witches, which ultimately led to the Salem Witch Trials. 
During the first half of the 17th century, the denizens of the ancient coastal town of Lowestoft in Suffolk, England, witnessed many upheavals in their lives. Plague, fire, civil strife, a rapid decline in the local fishing industry and an expensive lawsuit with the neighbouring town of Great Yarmouth all left their marks on this small community of under 2,000 souls. This particular year, I suffered the loss of my dad after a four-year-long battle with brain cancer. It was tough on me, and it was at this time in my life when I truly questioned the existence of a god, when my mum had tried telling me he was in a better place in heaven. I couldn't quite get why he would be in a better place without his own son and his family. Why would God be so cruel? Some months passed, and so did the immediate morning. Even though 26 years on, it feels like I've never stopped. And school life was almost back to normal. I had shut myself off a fair bit to my friends, apart from one or two close ones. This new playground fad had just popped up. Go, go, crazy bones. These were tiny little plastic molded monsters, for lack of a better word, that came in little foil packets on shop counters in packs of four or six, I believe. Even to this day, I'm not actually sure if there was a game linked to them, like you would have with Pogs or Pokemon cards. Not that anyone knew how to play that properly either. I had gotten the bug for collecting these toys. At least I had started to anyway. I had six Go-Go's at this point, various colours but all the same size, about the size of an upright 50 pence piece. Not long after the fad became popular, Walker's Crisps ran a promotion with Go-Go's where you could find larger ones in their packets. I wasn't aware of this promotion until one day I had bought a packet of Skips, and to my surprise, this large lump of plastic in a clear packet was hogging half the room in my bag of crisps. I was over the moon to find it was a large go-go, about the size of four normal go-go's melded into one. And this one was clear plastic with bubbles in. I believe this one had the name of Amy according to the little slip of paper that came with it. I was oblivious to the promotion printed on the outer packet of crisps. Anyway, I knew it would be a while before I had the pocket money to get my next pack of go-go's. So I proudly positioned my now seven Go-Go's on top of my 17-inch TV-VHS combo in a line, three either side of my shiny new big Go-Go. My TV sat across from my bed at about the same height on a desk. The night I displayed my Go-Go's, something strange happened, and this is the part that feels tremendously silly, despite obviously what was clearly happening. To this day, I still often refuse to believe it. After going to bed that night, having watched whatever was on TV, I rolled over to face the wall, facing my back to the TV. After about five or ten minutes, clearly still awake, I began to hear a tapping noise. I raised my head to position my ear in a more favourable spot to listen out for whatever the sound was, but it promptly stopped the moment I moved. After a few seconds, I lowered my head and the sound started again. This time, without moving my head, I was now aware of the sound more clearly, and it was obvious the sound was in my room and coming from behind me. At this point, my adrenaline had kicked in, and after a few more taps, 
I heard a much more audible thud. Something had fallen onto the floor. I wasn't sure what, but it sounded small. But I felt the impact through my bed. As quick as I heard it, I scrunched my duvet up around my head, eyes wide open, peering desperately at the dark wall in front of me, as if to focus my concentration harder on trying to hear more. The tapping began again. Tap, 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 thud. Tap, 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 thud. In a few seconds, it had escalated very quickly to just six thuds on the floor, ending with a much larger seventh thud. My eight-year-old brain was racing at this point. I now knew exactly what had made that noise, what was on the floor, and I knew what the tapping was. But I refused to believe it, and still struggle to this day to believe that for one second, those Go-Go's were walking off my TV. To explain it better, it sounded like the first two walked, and then in a crescendo of tiny tapping, the other five seemed to speed up, running off of the edge and onto the floor. Between the TV and the desk, there was no edge, so whatever fell off the TV would have done so straight onto the floor. My heart was pacing like I'd never felt before, and I closed my eyes as tight as I could the moment I heard that large thud. At this point, I don't recall how long I had lay there in a panic. I don't feel I lost as much sleep as I would have thought, but I knew I was not asleep so quickly after this event. I do remember waking up having not remembered the horror of the night before, but only to find on my floor as I swung my legs out of bed, my seven go-go's, all lined up. These were in the exact same formation I had put them in when they were on top of my TV. I also remember clearly how seeing this didn't alarm me even half as much as the night before. Maybe it was the daylight. Or maybe it was the utter denial thinking that seven lumps of sentient plastic had decided to walk and jump off my TV like lemmings before assembling in a line on my floor. I calmly picked them up off the floor and put them back on top of my TV, not quite in the same order, but making sure that the large one was in the middle as before. I went to bed that night, this time actually willing this to happen again. I laid there with my back to them, huddled in my duvet, squeezing my eyes together as hard as I could. Nothing happened. In fact, over the next few weeks that I was going to bed, I was conscious of the fact that I was trying to move these go-go's with my mind, as if I was Luke Skywalker trying to use the Force. I had eventually given up and soon moved on. I only went on to buy maybe three or four more packs of go-go's over the next few months, not even thinking that my new small army of plastic collectibles could one night seemingly come to life. They just sat there, on my desktop, in various places until the new and next fad came along, which I think was called slapsticks. Another collectible in the vein of pogs, but nobody cared to learn how to play and would rather just collect and show off and swap. Again, I've only spoken of this event to a small number of people. It was dismissed as a fever dream, nonsense, and I'm sure you just made that up, until the last person I told actually responded with, 
do you think your dad had anything to do with this? Initially, I thought they meant my grief of losing my dad may have played heavily on my mind and was unclear of what actually happened until they made it clearer that they meant on a paranormal level. For some time in my head, I wanted to believe it was my dad. I'm not sure why he chose to do that if that was his one and only phone call from the other side. But if it was, he certainly hasn't done anything else to get my attention since, although a sign is something I've always wished for. Being a skeptic who wants to believe, I had this hope for so long. Maybe my dad was there all along, and maybe he's always given me signs, and I've just not picked up on them. Maybe they have been so subtle, I've not noticed. Maybe it wasn't him at all, and it was a figment of my imagination. Or perhaps, something darker and more sinister. If you managed to get through my rambling, then thank you. I really managed to eke that out way more than I thought but it did feel good explaining the story in as much detail as I did. I'm not sure how I've written it, or if it will make a great story for the Listener's Stories episode, but I wouldn't expect it to. Having written this out, it does feel very good for me. I still hope to this day I witness something unexplainable and more obvious to make me really consider what I truly believe. I've had, in the last few years, a couple of dreams which felt more like out-of-body experiences as I dreamt I was in my own house, in my own bed, waking up and having a confrontation with an invisible entity. This literally felt as though I was struggling and scuffling with a poltergeist, trying to protect my family. Nothing in the dream felt like a dream, like distorted faces or how places will jumble around with other places. It felt like a waking dream and the dread I felt fighting this spirit was as real as it seemed. I even had to ask my eldest son, seven at the time, now nine, if he remembered Daddy shouting and fighting a ghost to get out of the house the night before. He had no idea what I was talking about, and even my partner felt spooked at how real I told her this felt. She reassured me that it was just a dream. But I've had one more since. Same situation, just a different room. Thank you again for taking the time to read. All the best, Dan Beavers. We next move on to a fascinating encounter which was kindly sent in by Neil. His experiences working at a branch of a once popular high street electronics and home appliances outlet were not the most memorable for a number of reasons. This unfortunate spell in his life was marred with many aspects of mental abuse at the hands of his co-workers, but it was what happened to him late one evening near Christmas 1999 that really burned a deep memory into his mind. I've just started listening to your podcast and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. After hearing that you're after spooky stories, I think I might have one for you. I've never written this down before and I'm not a creative writer so apologies if it's not great. To give you a small amount of background, my paternal grandparents were active in the spiritual church movement in Cardiff until their deaths in the 80s. My grandmother was a medium and my grandfather a minister. My mum, despite a nasty divorce in the late 70s and having few nice words to say about them, has always maintained that she saw and heard many supernatural things during her marriage 
that led her to believe they were truly able to communicate with the spirit world. My dad would never speak about that part of his life, apart from once, many years past their deaths, confirming that he had also seen and heard much that couldn't be conventionally explained. I myself have had many experiences that can't be rationalized easily without the possibility of there being a supernatural element that we don't yet understand. I've stuck to one story here, but I do have many more. This one was interesting because of the strange mix of being surrounded by modern tech while seeing something only possible if allowing disbelief to be suspended. In 1999, I left my hometown of Cardiff and travelled north to start a new life in Scotland thanks to a work opportunity for my then partner. I worked for Dixon's at the time and was offered the chance to transfer with them rather than trying to find new employment, so I took up the role of a deputy manager at the branch in Sochihall Street in Glasgow. This street is very old and forms, along with Argyle Street, the main shopping area of the city centre. The store I worked in was midway down a block of multi-storey terraced buildings that were originally built in the early 19th century, 1810 according to Wiki, as upmarket townhouses and having changed over time from upper to middle to lower class housing before becoming retail and office spaces as they are today. The store was comprised of a shop floor showroom on the first floor, a basement for warehousing, a second floor of store use office space and a third floor of regional management office space used by a field team. There was a fourth floor behind an alarm door at the top of the final tier of the staircase. The building had a lift from first floor to basement, but only a staircase to access the floors above. The staircase was a modern fit normal type, about 20 steps, then a small landing as the stairs continued in the other direction to the next floor. On my first day, I was given a tour which included the usual scenario of having to lock the door on the fourth floor every evening as part of the close-up process, as it accessed unused space above that which we used. I was offered a tour of what was behind a few weeks later, which was an empty and renovated area which had obviously been flats at one time, but which had been made largely open plan to the rear whilst retaining rooms at the front. The rooms still had their original fireplaces still in, which I found strange. It had all been painted white and magnolia and was a bright area thanks to windows in the walls and roof. It covered an area well in excess of that which we occupied below. I would guess at it being three or four shop fronts worth, with the door in our part the only access. Having not been to that part of Glasgow for many years, I don't know what the space is used for now, but I'd imagine they'd make for some very desirable living areas. Again, to add some context, the story begins about three months into my time at this store, and coincides with me not enjoying my new environment at all. I didn't like the change, I missed my home, and the people who I worked with not only didn't much respect me, but seemed to actively dislike me. The only time I've been racially abused as a white, middle-class man. Sounds silly and trivial, but it was genuinely unpleasant. I've often wondered if my mindset could have altered my perception, including immediately after the experience, but I've concluded that that's very unlikely. 
So one evening around Christmas 1999, I was the last on shift and going about the process of locking up and checking the store. I was supposed to have at least one other person with me until I was fully locked up to dissuade robbery and avoid staff temptation to steal. But my fellow workers were keen on leaving as soon as possible and had already gone. I knew this, and whilst I was locking the back areas, I had locked the front doors to stop any public from entering. I'd made my way up to the top of the stairs to lock the door to the empty area on the fourth floor. There was light, but only from an emergency type light, so very dim. As I was locking the door, I felt a presence behind me in that way us humans have of instinctively knowing. I turned around, but there was no one there. I turned back to the door, locked it, and then turned around to go back down. I saw a figure just turning the stairs at the bottom of the flight and turning to the next flight, but it was too dark to make out any detail. I obviously assumed that my friendly colleagues were playing a trick on me and suggested to them that they should go and make sweet love to themselves forthwith. I briskly followed but saw no more movement. I proceeded to check, very carefully and with knowledge that I might get jumped out on, all the office spaces and proceeded down to the shop floor level. As I was descending down the final flight, about halfway down, a figure walked out from the direction of the shop floor. It was a man dressed in what appeared to be Victorian-style clothing, all black but with a white high-collared shirt. I even had time to notice a watch chain tucked into his waistcoat pocket. He was very thin, pale, sharp-featured and wore significant mutton chops or sideburns. Pretty nervous now, but I remember trying to convince myself it was all a joke, I made my way out into the shop and towards the front. As I was walking, a pack of mini-discs flew towards me and hit a shelf that I was next to. I made a sharp exit and it really wasn't until I was on the train home that I allowed myself to consider what had just happened. No one else was in that building, a fact further supported by the alarms being set and not going off later. The period dress was hugely convincing, and the man was like no other I've ever seen apart from on a TV period drama. I later looked on the CCTV, which didn't cover the stairs area, but did cover the shop floor. But the angles didn't show well enough that the packet of discs were thrown. There were too many shelves in the way. I told my boss, who found it hilarious and proceeded to tell all my other colleagues that I was, to use the Glasgow vernacular, a rocket who was seeing things. Suffice to say, despite staying with the company, my time at that store was done. I moved to Edinburgh, worked on Prince's Street and didn't see any ghosts. It's been well over 20 years now, but I still remember his face clearly. I don't know if this is of any use to you, as I guess you must get hundreds of similar stories, but it has always been entertaining at dinner parties. Be careful if you are ever near that street, because the next time it might be you that encounters the staring ghost. Well done on the podcast. It's really very good. Best regards, Neil. Our next collection of stories come from Trudy, who is a gothic novelist. She very kindly forwarded me some details so that I could listen to her book, The Pure Heart, on Audible. 
it won the Times Prize for Fiction in 2018 and was published in 2020. An amazing achievement. These stories start with a fascinating tale of a dream which seemingly foretold of an impending disaster and has a connection to a listener story that goes all the way back to the first listener stories episode in season one. I've just listened to your episode 10 listener stories and I have something strange to report. I'll tell my story and you'll begin to gather exactly which previous listener story this relates to. I grew up on a council estate in the northeast of England in the 70s and 80s, the seventh of nine children. During my teens, I was not a stranger to sleep paralysis, having terrifying dreams where I thought that I was awake. Anyway, one night during 1987 when I was 15, I dreamt very vividly that I was playing with my best friend who lived next door, in the caravan, in her garden, on a bright sunny day. Suddenly, the caravan turned over and began to fill with water. We climbed onto the roof and we found that we were marooned in a lake. What was strange was the vista of the dream. I wasn't seeing it through my eyes, but as if it was being filmed from a helicopter. An aerial view, circling the caravan. Now remember, drones weren't invented in those days, so I wasn't thinking of it that way. I woke up during the dream with a start. It was indeed a sunny morning, but the dream was so strange that it took me a few seconds just to make sure that I was actually awake. After establishing that I was, I went to the window and knelt up on my sister's bed. She was still snoring fast asleep and looked out of the window. Of course, my neighbor's caravan was there in the drive, looking just as much as it always did. I went downstairs and put the TV on. And there it was, the Zeebrugge ferry disaster. When I heard the story about the boy's dream about the ship on the golf field, I couldn't believe it. Interested to know what you think? I've had several other spooky experiences in my life, and I'm going to add this one to it. After an email to Trudy to thank her for her story, I asked if she'd had any other strange experiences, and she didn't disappoint. I was also curious about the sleep paralysis aspect of her first story and asked if she'd had any more sleep paralysis-related incidents. Trudy replied with the following. In answer to sleep paralysis, thankfully not. Maybe once every five years or so now, but as a teenager through to my late 20s, it was a fairly horrible occurrence. It mostly went like this. I'd feel someone get into bed behind me and nestle in but the feeling of coziness wouldn't last long. Suddenly, I would be seized around the neck. I always had the feeling that it was a demon, even though I'm not religious. I had to wake up quickly, or I believed I would die. Three times I thought I'd woken up, only to have an experience, too bad, one beautiful, to realise that I was still dreaming. One of the bad ones happened when I was a teen. I woke up to a very bright day and looked over to my sister's bed to see her sleeping soundly and wondered what time it could be as it was so light. Then I saw a shiny object elevate from behind her headboard. A long, shiny pole-like broom handle made of mercury, like something futuristic from a space movie. It rose very slowly from behind her bed, then suddenly flew at me and pinned me to my bed by my neck. 
It was freezing cold. I woke up struggling for breath. It was the middle of the night. There was no daylight at all. So I've typed out more stories, and they're quite extensive and numerous, so don't be worried if you don't include any or all of them. Strangely, I've not had any experiences since my late 20s. I wonder if the mind starts to close down to such things, or maybe because my life is more settled now. I just don't get the dreams anymore. The house on the council estate which I mentioned at the start of my stories was brand new when my parents moved into it, three years before I was born. But a few stories circulated about my older siblings having strange encounters there. I'll list these at the bottom in case they detract from my own first-hand experience. To be honest, I never felt okay in that house despite it being new, tiny and always full to the brim with people. Anyway, my story starts with my father dying in September 1987. He died in the house, in his armchair, in the front room, and I was the last child to talk to him before he passed. It wasn't completely unexpected, as he'd suffered a major stroke seven years before, which had left him partially paralysed and unable to work. This meant he sat around all day, smoking 50 capstan full strength, despite the obvious health hazards regarding further strokes, and drinking when we couldn't afford it. We didn't get on. I was a stroppy teenager, and he was a bitter man depressed at having his active lifestyle taken away from him, especially as my mum had told him he had to smoke outside, as he'd given me bronchitis via passive smoking. In the end, he decided to stop taking his tablets and risk the massive heart attack which seemed inevitable. And it happened exactly seven days after he stopped taking his medication, as the doctors predicted it would. Anyway, whilst he was having his final heart attack, I'd gone downstairs to see what was going on in the middle of the night, whilst the other four remaining siblings, still living at home, crowded on the landing above. I've never seen anyone look so grey before. He was so close to death and the ambulance hadn't even been called as the doctor was supposedly on the way. He told me to go back to bed saying, I'm alright pet, go back to bed. This was the last thing I think he ever said. Mum called the ambulance, but there was nothing that could be done. Despite me not getting along with him, I was obviously sad that he'd passed away in such a terrible way. The following week was the funeral. I was sitting in the front room with what I can only remember as a lot of people waiting for the funeral cars to pick us up. Suddenly there was a mad swirling of cold air all around me, focusing mostly around my lap. I was too freaked out to say anything, but then one of my sisters said, What's that? Two of them agreed that it was really freaky, but we had other things on our mind and went off to the funeral. Then, a few weeks later, my mum came downstairs shouting at the top of her lungs. She was so angry. Someone had been smoking in her bedroom. My mother had always hated smoking, and her greatest disappointment was that my sister Haley smoked, though she had never had the nerve to do it in the house before. Of course, Haley had done no such thing. We'd been sitting downstairs watching Saturday morning TV. Also, she wouldn't have smoked in a 50-metre radius of the house for fear of getting caught. 
and every time my mother discovered her cigarettes, she would break them up and scatter them on her bed. Anyway, trying to calm my mother down, we followed her upstairs. Right at the side of her bed, my mother kept a box of hankies, and there was a cigarette burn right through the middle of it. Then we discovered three cigarette burns in her dressing gown. Although my mum doesn't believe in ghosts, she just knew by my sister's face that she would never have done something like this. Sudden smells of smoke became common in the house, though one could argue that they were psychosomatic, or that the smell can linger for years, until the next thing occurred. My mum had gone to the shops. She walked because we didn't have a car, and we took the opportunity to let the dog in from the yard. The dog wasn't allowed in and lived in a kennel and would understandably get very excited when the opportunity presented itself to come inside. The dog did its usual mad run around the living room, eventually jumping on my dad's old chair to settle. My dad and the dog didn't get on as my dad would tease the dog with the lit end of his cigarette when he was forced to smoke outside. But just as the dog was settling into the chair, which was still covered in cigarette burns from my dad's indoor smoking days, it suddenly leapt out of the chair as if it had been kicked. It proceeded to start barking and growling at the chair. We were freaked out, but concluded that the dog could still smell my dad's smell and the smoke still ingrained in the chair. What happened next, however, could not so easily be explained. The dog started to follow something out of the room, biting and snarling as if around an intruder's ankles. When it reached the door to the hallway, it gave a final triumphant bark and trotted back into the room and settled back into the chair. We were never able to explain that. And apart from the smoke smells, the only other thing was that my younger sister swears that somebody was trying to open the door to the bathroom when she was in the bath, and no one else was at home. This was something my dad did often, Unsurprisingly, in a house full of so many kids, it was unavoidable. Other things happened before that in the house. Separate incidents with my two older sisters when they were around 8 to 12 years old. One swore a white lady walked into the bathroom whilst she was bathing. She ran downstairs naked despite having brothers around, as she was that terrified. My other sister saw a Victorian lady lying down beside the mirror when she was playing a game of toy telephones. Both sisters swear to this day that these things really happened. Another shared experience I had with my sisters, not really spooky, just maybe an example of shared consciousness, was when we were watching Blackadder's Christmas special on VHS in the middle of June. Suddenly we all smelled mince pies, simultaneously saying... Can you smell mince pies? The smell was absolutely overwhelming. The four of us ran into the kitchen to find my mother, bewildered at us, making a cup of tea. There were no mince pies. Our brains had extrapolated from watching a Christmas show, but the olfactory hallucination was experienced by all of us at the same time. Funny, but strange. I also had an experience whilst at university in Manchester in 1989. I'd been put in a Catholic or girls' school hall of residence. I'm not religious, but I had left accommodation finding way too late, and beggars can't be choosers. 
The whole place was really creepy, especially the old wing where my bedroom was. Anyway, one afternoon, I was waiting for my then boyfriend to come and call for me. My roommate was away, and I'd fallen asleep on my bed alone in the room. The halls of residence required visitors to buzz you in. There was an intercom outside of my room serving four bedrooms. After a caller negotiated that, they needed to knock on my bedroom door. However, whilst I was sleeping, somebody kissed me on the cheek. It was a deep kiss, and I felt my skin indent and felt the definite sensation of warm breath. I immediately sat up. I didn't hear you, I began, expecting it to be my boyfriend, who had somehow infiltrated both the intercom system and the lock on my bedroom door. But there was nobody there. I didn't feel scared at all, and was instead left with an enormous sense of well-being. I also had a feeling that whatever had done this to me was female. Was it a nun from some time in the past? Or another one of my half-awake hallucinations? I didn't have any more experiences in the halls of residence after this. A year later, I was living with friends in a shared house. My room was a very noisy ground floor one looking out onto a busy street. One morning, I woke up after having a dream that the postman was posting money through the letterbox. When I counted it, the total came to £473. When I went into the living room, my friend informed me that I'd just got a letter. I opened it, and it was a cheque for housing benefit that I'd applied for ages ago and didn't expect to ever get anything. It was for £486. So strange. I think the actual postman putting the letter through the box had gone into my dream, but the money bit really freaked me out. There was only one more episode of a sleep paralysis situation that I was to have, and that was three years later whilst at Harriet Watt University. I'd gone to study for a postgraduate certificate in education, or a PGCE, and thought I got my accommodation sorted out this time. However, on arriving with all my stuff, the landlord said he'd accidentally given my room to someone else. As a temporary measure, I stayed at his brother's house, who did offer accommodation to students. His brother turned out to be a real creep, who bought me presents home from town and said I could live there for free. Anyway, I sorted somewhere else out pretty quickly, but the last night I was there, I got so paranoid that I put a chair up against my bedroom door. I went to sleep feeling afraid, but then had the most magical experience. I swore that I'd woke up because of something at the door. Scared, I sat up and could see bright shafts of light coming in under the door from the hallway. The door opened, and there was my dad. He looked much like he did just before he died. Overweight, ill from having strokes, dragging his leg a little. The light was amazing, bouncing in off the mirrored wardrobes. He didn't say anything, but as he walked in, I realized that he was holding the hand of my little sister. She was 20 at the time, but here she was about four years old. My dad had been dead for around eight years by then. My brain was flooded with an enormous sense of well-being. I woke up. It was pitch black. I was literally crying with happiness. There was nothing to be afraid of. 
I went back to sleep and moved out the next day. The brain is a strange place to be, especially when it's half asleep. Could this have been a visit from an angel? I'll let you decide. Years later, and my little sister has been through some tough times and has needed counselling, and I wonder if this was either him telling me, or my inner consciousness telling me, that she needed to be looked out for. Cheers for now, Trudy. Our next story comes from Judith, who recently started listening to the show and submitted the following tale of an experience which she had in 2019. Even though our grandmother Peggy was in her 90s, it still came as a huge shock to us when she passed away in November 2019. This wasn't long before the UK-wide COVID-19 lockdowns which started in 2020. These were definitely times which we all knew as a family that she would have hated. Being isolated for all that time, not being able to see us or her grandchildren would have been terrible for her. When I was a child, my grandmother lived with myself, my mother and father, and on many occasions we would mistake my mother for my grandmother over the phone, and vice versa. They had incredibly similar voices, intonations, and even the same accents, and as I grew older, I began to get mistaken for them as well. This would often result in hilarious arguments between all of us as to who had answered the phone to who, or who had said something to someone else. Going back to November 2019, a week or so after my grandmother had passed, I made a phone call to my mum. I can't remember exactly the reason for the phone call, but after a few rings, my mother picked up the phone and said, hello. I spoke, but she just said, hello again, and then again. Straight away, I thought that they were having problems with the landline again, so I just hung up and decided to give it a minute or so, and I would call again. Around a minute later, my phone rang, and it was my mum. I said something along the lines of, Oh great, you've called me back. I really think you need to get your landline checked, because every time I call from our landline, or we call from Jay's phone, Jay's my partner, your landline doesn't seem to work properly. My mum replied back with, Oh right, but I didn't call you. This is me calling you now. So I asked her who answered the phone a few minutes ago, and she genuinely didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So who did answer the phone that day? I know that we were all stricken with grief, but could it have been my mother quickly forgetting that she just answered the phone to me because of what she was going through? Or could it have been someone else? Listening to your podcast brought this story back to me because at the time, it was something that didn't necessarily register due to the whole emotional situation of my grandmother's passing. So, there's my story. Hope it's something that interests yourself and the listeners. Loving the show as it helps me get through my chores and things, so please keep up the good work. A fascinating tale and a very strange experience. I think we all have a very good idea who could have possibly answered that phone when Judith called. But how is that possible? There are many stories out there, more than you'd think, from people who have had very similar experiences. Phone calls with loved ones now lost. As with other areas of the paranormal, maybe this is something that simply can't be explained. Yet. 
It amazes me just how far the reach of this podcast is. The next set of tales come from Heather Owens, all the way from New Zealand. I've seen many apparitions over the years in different places, from a man standing at the foot of my bed to an old lady who walked across our kitchen. Some places have had an odd atmosphere, and one old colonial house I stayed in in Christchurch had stairs with a very bad feeling and smell that I really didn't like. But as with most of the times I've seen things, I didn't feel they were negative, just sort of there. There was a place where I lived in Stillwater, Auckland, New Zealand a few years back, which always had that sort of vibe. I'd had a period of intense loss. My mother had passed away. My relationship had also ended around the same time. Shortly after this, my sister's partner died. Then just six weeks later, my sister also died. I think all my intense emotions created the energy that attracted a lot of activity. For instance, there was a seven-foot-tall dark shadow man that would sometimes appear. Items began breaking and moving, and I saw shadows of a dog walking down the hall. I've never had a dog. I ended up having a group of house cleansers come and clean it out, and it did feel lighter afterwards, but some activity still persisted. There was a bit of a walkway between the house and a shed, and my bathroom window opened into this space. There was always a horrible feeling of being watched there. One night, I was getting undressed to have a shower, and I saw a human-shaped shadow walk past the window. Now, the only light source was the bathroom light, so it couldn't have been car lights or something else like that. I was stunned and stared at the shadow, and it stopped, turned back, and looked in the window at me. It then vanished. I remember trying to bluff it out by putting my hands on my hips and asking it to just give me some privacy, but with this one, I don't mind saying that I was absolutely terrified. I was renting at the time, and a week later, I got notice that I had to move out. I think the intense emotional energy I was exuding fed and charged the atmosphere. Also, because I was already sensitive to these energies, how I was feeling at the time was as if I wasn't wholly in this world, because I was overwhelmed emotionally. People often think that if you have a difficult or traumatic relationship with a family member, when they die, that relationship is over. But in my experience, it has been a case of you needing to resolve it alone, and I found it quite complicated. I had quite a bit of anger, anxiety and fear, and maybe I unknowingly created a type of self-haunting situation with my emotional energy feeding the activity. According to the clearers, the smaller partially see-through shadow person could have been a man who'd hung himself there, and whilst this isn't verified, I do believe it was him. Although I only physically saw him that one time, there had always been a feeling of being watched. In my mind's eye, when I had the sensation of being watched, I would sense this atmosphere as being an older, middle-aged white man with a bald head, and that was before speaking to the clearers. There were some other verified entities, such as a young man who died on a motorbike close by. When I spoke to my neighbour about this, he said he had seen the rider just before the accident happened. 
Also, there was an older lady there, and I'd sensed her near the trees in the garden. I'd even hung up some wind chimes for her there, and I felt that she didn't want to move on, but was also blocking others from moving on. Apparently, she took some convincing. The clearers seemed to think that she was there for me, not my family, but it took me a long time to work out who it may have been. The large seven-foot solid dark shadow man that I would see there, I don't think was related to me. Just maybe being sensitive, I would sometimes be aware of it. Since experiencing all of this, I've joined a medium circle as well as doing a course dealing with psychic abilities to try and get some control over this connection or perception. When I was in the circle, I started feeling pressure all around me all the time. Just like people going on at me, and it wasn't restful. It's helped to a certain degree, but not entirely. I still see and sense things sometimes, but I've just learned how to throw up walls more if I need to. Many thanks. Heather Owens. Next up is Neil Jones, who sent in the following story of a strange and eerie experience he had whilst working at a place where you'd normally find people having a great time and creating memories, but it seems that this isn't always the case. I have one quite minor ghost story. I was working at a Butlins holiday camp just after college. I was in my room one night to sleep when I was woken up by the whole room being flooded by an amber light. I thought it was time to get up, as I had to be up before 7am, but this was the middle of the night. I got back into bed and felt a hand on my chest. It moved through the hair and I could feel the fingers, every one of them. I jumped out of bed and never felt it again. I asked around the next day, asking staff if anyone had died in that room, etc., but I just got mocked every time. I eventually gave up. This would be June 1986. I've never suffered with sleep paralysis, but on a further note, this row of rooms I lived in at Butlins was lived in by single men, though it had been for single women only until a year or so earlier. I think something major had happened there, and the accommodation was switched around. People do actually die at Butlins. Young people die dabbling with drugs, and older people die after a bit of unexpected extramarital activity. Sadly, the row of rooms that I was living in got destroyed by a tornado in August 1989. I believe there are ghosts there, haunting the theatres, etc., but I found nothing out about my incident even looking it up on the internet later. I don't mind you using my name or the fact that it was Butlins. I had an experience that I can't explain and would like to share it. I remember at the time asking the then staff welfare officer if anything had happened there, any info at all. But she just gave me a smile and wouldn't say any more. Thanks for your reaction, Neil Jones. Kelly Ann Lacey was kind enough to send in the following story which happened to both her and her daughter. It's a story that involves the ghost of a woman who appeared with the intention to help, not to frighten. Hi there. Not sure if this is of interest or not, but I thought I would share. 
Around 18 years ago, I was at home with my then three-year-old daughter. She had caught her finger in a toy and she was fussing as toddlers tend to do, even though she was fine. I was in the kitchen washing dishes. The house was a semi-detached house with a small entrance hall that led upstairs. There was a door into the open-plan lounge and dining room with the kitchen being towards the left of the dining room. I could hear my daughter still grizzling away about her finger and I suggested she go upstairs and get a book we could read when I'd finished the dishes. I heard her enter the hall and presumably she started to climb the stairs while still crying about her finger. As I was wiping the surfaces down, I heard a woman say, Oh dear, what's the matter? My daughter replied to say that she'd hurt her finger. Then I heard the woman say, Let's have a look. Thinking our neighbour had popped in the front door, I went to the hall. My daughter was sat halfway up the stairs on her own. I thought it odd that our neighbour had just left, so I went to open the front door to see if she was still about. The door was locked. Still puzzled, I asked my daughter who she'd been speaking to. She replied, the lady. So I asked which lady, and she said the nice lady who comes to see me. Still thinking she must have meant our neighbour, I asked where this lady was now. My daughter said that she was gone. I unlocked the door and called upon my neighbour, who wasn't even home. I was initially freaked out and called my own mum to tell her, but eventually I relaxed. The voice was kind and caring and clearly meant no harm. I often wonder if it was my husband's mother who sadly passed away when he was nine. Did she come to visit and comfort her granddaughter? Kelly Ann Lacey Our next and last story from what has been a truly epic three-part series of listener stories comes from a listener who tells of an experience which many of us have probably had when we were only a few years old. Back then, our imaginations weren't as tamed or as closed as they are now. Our pathways in life were many, but still unknown. And to a great deal of people, myself included, that freedom of thought must have been an amazing time in our lives. I've been enjoying the podcast, its attention to the stories of people present and lingering. Thank you very much for the time and care taken with them. I'm asking for anonymity with this story. Though I want to share this kind and warming childhood event, I find now when I think about it, I make guesses about decisions later made by one or more of my grandparents. Lovely people and dearly missed. It isn't for me to add to their life story by name. For most of my childhood and through to my teenage years, my family took in a typically weekly Sunday afternoon with my most local grandparents about a 30-minute drive away. These were nice but uneventful. A routine, and one I of course now wish, with both of them many years past, that my teenage self hadn't waned from and become an irregular visitor. For those early years, I would often spend much of the visit playing in the garden or in the hallway. Such were grandparents, each room had a different style of flower-inspired, deep-coloured carpeting and I'd normally be sat there with toys near the porch and close to the door which led into the living room. I expect I liked it because of the light, 
and because I could hear the grown-ups in conversation. I know that I was also often drawn to the painting of my great-grandfather, which hung between that door and the porch. A portrait of him at work in the workshop, flat-capped and focused on some joinery. His face was angled down, and there was more detail to be seen of the workshop than the man. I don't think I'd ever considered the detail of the work, but I was always aware the painting was there. I also remember talking to it. Here, my memory is too deeply entwined with other family members. This was me at an age when memories were broad strokes and emotion. Perhaps four years old, certainly not older than five. But I know I've been told that that particular day, for the grown-ups the other side of the door, it was striking. It wasn't clear who I thought I was talking to, but my half of the conversation was, to them, exactly that. Detailed and thoughtful in what I said. Breaks in between. Responsive. I'm told I hadn't lacked imagination before then, but so involved was my chatter that they viewed it as a big developmental step. But to my head, I'd been very happily talking to my great-grandfather, and that feeling never left me. And as I grew older and the story was retold, and I tried to reconcile memories from either side of that door, I did, and realistically still do, put it down to my imagination having a significantly persuasive day. But without ever being scared, or even actually uncomfortable, I did find I didn't ever then really look at that painting. I always felt aware it was there. I didn't look at it. Listening to your listener stories episodes rekindled my thoughts on that painting, and this is where I now find myself. Wanting to add details I can't and won't ever know. Where is that painting? When my grandfather died, I was quite actively involved with sorting the house out. I've some important pictures and objects from his life, and I know the things that went to my brother and cousin. I know too which bits of furniture we donated or found new homes for. That painting, though. We didn't remove it. It had gone already. And I wonder now whether if, at some stage, perhaps even during those teenage years, where I'd moved my head very quickly through that hallway and felt it was there but never looked, I wonder if the house had gotten too noisy. Many thanks. So there you have it. The end of an amazing collection of stories from people out there just like you and me. We've heard about ghostly apparitions, poltergeists, shadow entities, creepy atmospheres and much, much more. What becomes more and more apparent when you compile episodes such as these is that these types of experiences can happen to anyone, at any time. There never is a right or wrong moment. Events such as these can just occur. I really hope you've enjoyed this series of listener stories as well as Season 3 as a whole. Season 4 is well and truly on the way, with all scripts written and checked, ready to go. There's more fantastic episodes coming soon, but before the launch of the fourth season, I'll be taking a little time out to take a breather. Keep listening to the show and keep an eye on our social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter for further announcements and a launch date for season four. And while you're there, why not give me your opinion 
about these stories. I've already had a number of new listener stories for the end of Season 4, but if you've got a story to tell, then please send it into the show. Also, just as a reminder, I'm still on the hunt for stories from emergency services employees past and present. A huge thank you to all the listeners who sent in their stories, and another massive thanks to everyone who's tuned in and listened. So until the next episode, stay alert, stay focused, and keep your wits about you. Because the next person to have a paranormal experience, and to send in their story to have it retold, could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story so it's easy for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost privacy and respect. And if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at my studio, Pink Flamingo Music Productions in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you have a piece of music you'd like mixing or mastering, or if you have a podcast that needs title music writing, or maybe you want your whole podcast editing and prepping for distribution, then why not get in touch with me via email at pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com with your inquiry, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. For a list of all research sources which I found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Hey listeners, my name is Kayla and I am the creator and host of a new podcast called Dark Tales from the Road. We cover true crime, spooky, creepy, and ghostly stories, and I want to take you state by state and country by country to bring you stories you may not have even heard of before, and also learn some history on the city and the state where it takes place. So join me on the road as we discover dark tales. New episodes are posted every Wednesday. I have an Instagram, Facebook, and a Patreon, all at Dark Tales from the Road. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone has a great day.